Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're reaching the uh, close to the halfway mark now of the You Asked For It series, and uh, this morning we're dealing with the uh, legalization of marijuana that's coming up in our country, and uh, it's going to be here next year. And so just before I begin, I'm going to put up, kind of like I did last week, I'm going to put up the law that is changing, and uh, we'll know exactly what it is that we're talking about. So legally speaking... We're talking about how Christians respond biblically to the legalization of marijuana. And legally speaking, this is what's happening. On July of 2018, so that's a a year from now, a new law will be in effect where a person can carry for personal use up to 30 grams of marijuana, uh, which is about 40 to 60 joints, depending on how you roll them, uh, which seems like a lot to me for one person to be able to carry. Uh, But that's what it's going to be. So... Minimum age of 18 to purchase. Uh, The provinces can set that higher if they want. Uh, There's very strict rules around packaging and advertising. Uh, It's going to be available only through regulated retail framework that the federal government puts in place. Or, this is interesting, you can order it online and have it securely delivered. Uh, That's convenient. So... At this point, they don't know what to do about brownies and things like that. There won't be any sale of edibles or any other form uh, other than uh, the actual cannabis plant. Uh, You can personally grow four plants per household. So if you want to grow your own, you can do that, up to four plants, no more than one meter high. Uh, The goal for this, according to the government, which we take at face value and we appreciate, the goal from our governing bodies is that legalizing and restricting access to cannabis is actually going to help keep cannabis out of the hands of Canadian youth and prevent organized crime from continuing to profit. So they're seeing that it's a problem and they are, in good faith, trying to actually protect our society in this way. We'll discuss whether this is the wise way to do it or not. And uh, in 2015, uh, 21% of youth and 30% of young adults reported using cannabis within the last year. So this is a widespread issue that needs to be addressed. And that's what we're talking about. What's a Christian response to this? As our culture shifts underneath us in these ways and shifts in different directions, how do we as Christians go out into the world and respond uh, in a wise and profitable way with our culture? And uh, so culturally speaking here, what we're really talking about, that's legally, but culturally what we're talking about is basically just the growing acceptance of all forms of cannabis use, whether you're smoking pot, eating hash, dabbing smash, whatever it is, all those other recreational ways that we have of ingesting THC in various qualities and quantities is basically what we're dealing with culturally. So let me just open up in a word of prayer before we open up scripture and begin. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is uh, relevant to today, that we as Christians can look into your scripture and understand from the stories you have told us and the truth you have told us, you've painted the picture of your redeeming interaction with us as mankind, that you have a plan for us, that you have a hope for us, uh, that you have a way in which it is healthy for us to live and to glorify you, and we can learn all of that on any topic from your scripture. And so, Father, help us to do that today, to look into your word and know how we should respond to the reality of a fallen world and a sinful culture uh, and, and, the own, and our own sin and our own struggles within ourselves. Uh, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So I'm going to start out sort of uh, asking the question, is there a biblical argument for cannabis use? When I, when I saw this topic come up in the submission form, as soon as I read the little piece of paper uh, talking about the legalization of marijuana, I knew right away where I would have to at least start with on the biblical perspective of this. Because there is a faith group out there that view the Bible as their holy scriptures. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in Jesus. They believe in heaven to come, salvation, all of that. They're proponents of peace and joy and love. And some people might even confuse them as a fairly legitimate branch of Christianity, I suppose, if not for some strange kind of extra-biblical beliefs about the emperor of Ethiopia and uh, some odd interpretations of the Bible itself. But the Rastafarians are out there, okay? And the Rastafarians, not their founder, but their most famous evangelist, Bob Marley, would be a, uh, a strong proponent and make a biblical case for the use of marijuana, okay? And uh, so these guys are all for cannabis use. And it's actually a sacrament to the Rastafarians or the Rastamans or whichever preference you use. And they use it in their ceremonies. And, uh, and, and it's a very strange branch of the faith that I can't, actually call Christianity because it hangs a lot of weight on one particular verse of the Bible in their use of cannabis as a sacrament. And uh, that verse is Genesis 129. So this is where the Rastafarians hang their pipe, so to speak. Um, Genesis 129. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And so they love this verse, every plant, they say, especially the sacred grass. Uh, that's what they call it. They call it the sacred grass, the holy weed. And, uh, and they read the Bible kind of that far, and they figure, you know, that's enough. I've heard enough. I don't need to read any farther. And, uh, and it's actually a good test, sort of poking fun, but it's actually a good test of, of understanding whether what you're hearing is... Uh, actual Christian teaching that's taking in the whole counsel of Scripture, uh, or whether it's a cult, even a Christian cult. There are Christian cults, so to speak, to use that nomenclature. Uh, there's Bible cults. And uh, if, if, a, if a Bible cult or a teaching puts a lot of emphasis on one specific verse, or it interprets a verse in a way, kind of a hoopy way that makes you say, what? Like, I don't understand what you're saying there. That should set off alarm bells in whatever you're reading or whoever you're listening to, uh, because these cults or these branches uh, that are not authentic do this. They, they land on one verse and stress it to the exclusion of everything else. But the, the Rastafarians use a couple of other verses, and I'm not even going to mention those because they're just the interpretation is so far-fetched it's not even worth talking about. But, but let's have a quick look here. Like let's, let's talk about this verse in Genesis and what the Rastafarians are pressing on and, uh, and what they're arguing here. And as Christians, we do know that God has created all things, and all things that he has created can be used properly for our good. And as, as we learn more and more about the creation that God has given us, as, as science turns its eye to understanding what's happening in biology and nature, we do discover new foods and the healthiest ways of eating, and we learn about the healing properties of plants and the medications that are possible to synthesize from these plants and for the alleviation of suffering. And in the case of cannabis, there's been a lot of research over the last several decades to investigate its legitimate beneficial properties. And so the THC, which is the active ingredient in, in cannabis, it's found. It decreases pain. It decreases inflama inflammation. Uh, it deals with muscle control problems. And uh, CBD, which is a cannabinoid that doesn't make people high, 
It's also very useful in reducing pain and inflammation and controlling epileptic seizure and, and possibly even treating some sorts of mental illness and other addictions. And so marijuana act, extracts may help kill certain cancer cells even and reduce the size of other cancer cells. There's evidence from uh, one cell culture that was done in, in rodents that purified extracts of whole plant marijuana can actually slow the growth of cancer cells in one of the most serious forms of brain tumors. Okay, so, so God has given us good things on the planet. And, you know, Bob Marley aside, there may be some reason that we want to use the cannabis plant. And I know that some of you right now, as I talk about that, are, are thinking about that sore knee that you've had since high school, you know, or the nervous twitch that you have in your eyebrow, and you're looking forward now to this 30 grams that you can carry next year. But I just want to tell you that the, you have to understand that these medical benefits that are effective are effective in pill form without the associated high that comes from smoking. So... All of these medical benefits you don't necessarily have to smoke to get. I'm sorry to disappoint you. So uh, just moderate, temper your enthusiasm there a little bit. But THC or CBD or these extracts can be a good prescription medication for pain and for childhood epilepsy and people that are suffering from multiple sclerosis seizures and uh, from other forms of anxiety and stress disorders that are physiological in nature. So, so... In terms of Genesis 129, there are good things in nature that we can make use of. And, of course, many of our medicines would be dangerous if we used them in unprescribed or unsupervised ways. And, in fact, very relevant to our culture today, um, some of the studies, all the studies actually show that where medical marijuana is available, uh, the instances of opioid prescription, overdoses, and deaths decline where marijuana is available as an option for pain relief medically. And so... There are some reasons why we would want to look at how do we regulate the use of cannabis or marijuana. But again, setting the, the Rastafarians and their enthusiasm aside, let's look at some biblical wisdom now applied to cannabis and especially its recreational use, right? Because when we're talking about the legalization of marijuana, we're really talking about recreational use. It's not so much on the medical side and acknowledging that there's lots of good things that might come out of the cannabis plant in terms of medicine. We're talking about recreational use, right? That's what everybody's either excited about or fearful of is the widespread acceptance of recreational marijuana smoking or use. I mean, the question eventually, eventually that is out there or essentially that is out there in the culture is, is marijuana really any different than alcohol or maybe even caffeine or nicotine as a mood-altering drug? I mean, we have things that we ingest in order to uh, alter our moods and, and they have restrictions around them in, in, in ways and we use them. And so why is marijuana any different and why should we respond to it any different? But scripture isn't silent on this easy. Either. And there's a few scriptures that we could go to as Christians. Just obviously we're going to go here. The world's not going to go there. But for us as Christians, this is where we go when we think about how we uh, ingest things into our body and for what reasons. And so I'll just touch on a few verses that we might use as anchor points for us as Christians as we think about this issue. 1 Corinthians 10.23. What's permissible isn't always profitable, Paul says. It says, everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is lawful, but not everything builds others up. And so the Apostle Paul was living in the middle of this, really, believe it or not, as he writes to the church in Corinth, right? He planted this church in Corinth, which was a port town. It was very metropolitan. There's people coming in on ships from all over the world. There's all kinds of different philosophies, all kinds of different worship going on, hundreds of different temples and different gods in this city. And basically all kinds of things went. And one of, the, one of the phrases of the day was, everything is lawful, 
You know, as you kind of, it's like Vegas, right? Like anything goes, whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? It's everything is permissible or everything is lawful. And so, so the apostle Paul here, as he writes, he says, he quotes this to the church in Corinth. He says, I know this is, this is the spirit of the day. This is the culture of the day that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And I know that everything you're saying, everything is lawful, but, but not everything builds each other up. And so Paul's just warning his church and us Christians that, that we can't take individual choice and elevate it beyond what is helpful to ourselves or perhaps harmful to others. You might be permitted to do it, but it's still harmful. You might be able to do it, but it may not be helping others, and it may be causing others around you to suffer. And so permission doesn't mean that it won't hurt, and permission doesn't mean that it, it's going to be helpful. And so it's better to consider not if something is lawful, but if it's beneficial and doesn't, doesn't do any harm to others. And so as Christians, we think about that in terms of our own you know, way we participate in culture. Are these things actually helpful for us? Because we can't trust the law. We can't trust our culture to be our moral guide. We have to turn to Scripture. Uh, secondly, another Scripture you could look at is Ephesians 5.18. We're not meant to be drunk. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the problem with drunkenness is that what happens is the user is filled with and is thus controlled by alcohol rather than by the Spirit. And as Christians, we're to live self-controlled lives and we're to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit and not under the influence of any other intoxicating substance. And now the problem with marijuana is that there's virtually no unintoxicated state when you use marijuana. One inhalation is enough for intoxication to begin to take place and be under the influence of that drug's effect. And so the idea of using marijuana in a moderate way, the way that, that Christians, many Christians, moderately use alcohol and is used in Scripture, it just can't be done. You can't use marijuana moderately the way you can alcohol. And even if there was a moderate way, there is no moderate use benefit for marijuana. The benefit of marijuana is the experience of the intoxication. And so scripture tells us that there, there is a use for wine and a way to recognize wine as a blessing and enjoy wine to the glory of God. And you could look at Psalm 104 or Deuteronomy 14 or Proverbs 3. But cannabis doesn't have any of those same uses as, say, a glass of well-aged Cabernet, right? We can, we can drink a well-aged Cabernet to the glory of God and, and actually have health benefit from that, but you can't smoke a joint to the glory of God. It just doesn't work because you're immediately under the influence of that intoxicant. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the scripture tells us you can't do that when you're intoxicated. You can't do that when you're under the influence of a drug because you're no longer self-controlled and you're no longer under the influence of the spirit. So we have to consider that. Thirdly, uh, another thing to consider is our body is a temple, says in 1 Corinthians 6.19-20. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price and therefore honor God with your body. And so in scripture, this applies to sex, this applies to food, this applies to caffeine, to nicotine, to ice cream, to alcohol, to tattoos, to hairdos. They're not bad things, but make sure you're using them and honoring God with them. You can do your hair however you want. You know, you can eat ice cream and honor your body and honor God in your eating of ice cream or food or sex or caffeine and all these things that you can do. They're not necessarily bad in themselves, but the, the scripture here warns that whatever it is that we're doing, remember that our body is not our own, that we were bought with a price, that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so whatever it is that we're doing, 
even good things that we're doing, make sure we're not abusing them and we're doing them to the glory of God. Because we can eat wrong, we can intake things wrong, we can do lots of things, we can even dress wrong in a way that's not glorifying to God. And the scripture here says, as Christians, we always respect our bodies and we always honor God in the things that we do, whether it's how we dress or what we eat or anything else that we're doing. And there's a problem here if we consider our body as a temple and that we have to honor God in it and respect our bodies in it because, because cannabinoids are chemicals and, and uh, they're related to THC and, and marijuana's main ingredient that makes people high is THC. And the reality is, is that this THC can be destructive. And the danger here, actually, as people start to use marijuana and and explore its recreational use, is that you can actually synthesize synthetic cannabinoids in the lab. And you don't even need a lab, actually. You just need some cannabis plants and butane and an evaporator, and you can do it, too. Actually, I should not be giving you guys instructions on how to do this. (laughs) (laughs) But you can synthesize... You can synthesize really powerful cannabinoids, right, that are extremely dangerous, and they're out here. So this is kind of like a public service uh, announcement or whatever, right? Like what's out there on the street, the, the, the law is talking about just the cannabis plant, right, and, and, and marijuana. But what's out on the street now and what is gra- gaining in prevalence for recreational use are these synthetics. So there's K2, there's Spice, there's Mojo, there's Smacked, like all these different drugs out there that are based on cannabis but that have been highly synthesized and have been highly um, made to be more powerful, right? And, and they're sprayed on uh, a plant material so they can be smoked or else they're sold as liquids that can be vaporized in those e-cigarettes, you know, that are popular right now. So all these things are coming together and it's creating an environment that is very dangerous. And so when we think of our body as a temple, we have to be careful, And again, I'm speaking especially to youth, even though this is not just a youth issue. It's a big youth issue in terms of influence and in terms of being cool and being at parties and wanting to be with all your friends. And and now that it's been legalized, it seems like it's okay, but it's dangerous. They're very, very dangerous, these things, and they're not good for our body. Uh, Nora Volkow, who's the director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, says marijuana impairs short-term memory and judgment and distorts perception. It can impair performance in school or at work and make it dangerous to drive. It also affects brain systems that are still maturing through young adulthood, like the prefrontal cortex, which isn't actually finished developing until age 24. And, and our medical communities basically ask the government to postpone the legal age for marijuana to 21 or beyond, even 24, some have said because the because our adolescent brain has not finished developing until 24. And yet, the prevalence of cannabis use is in those aged 14 to 19. And so at that critical period, before their prefrontal cortex is done developing, we have a widespread group of youth out there that are partaking in this, and the government wants to set the legal age at 18. So there's some additional evidence to sort of back up the scriptural commands that we've been given. The research by the Canadian Medical Association has shown that clearly that up until the age 25, well, this is what I was just talking about, that the prefrontal cortex is still developing. And any cannabis use prior to age 25 affects its development. And in addition, the University of Sheffield study, cannabis has been shown to cause reproductive abnormalities in male reproduction with effects lasting up to three months after a single cannabis use. Okay, so keep that in mind, guys, especially, uh, you know, all you married guys who are planning a family. Um, Essentially, there is sperm deformation up to three months after the use of cannabis. 
And we don't know what the effect on reproduction is from that. Okay, so there are serious scientific issues at play here that not a lot has been taken credit of in, in forming this law. And then the Canadian Mental Health Medical Association, sorry, uh, also uh, reports a string of concerns tied to the health effects of marijuana, addiction, cardiovascular issues, chronic bronchitis as examples, and they even say marijuana usage is linked to increased risk of mental health issues such as schizophrenia. And uh, a recent survey in 2011 showed that 25% of youth who admitted to trying weed within the previous three months were now also smoking it daily. So it is addictive. Don't kid yourself that it's not addictive. And um, so the, the Canadian Medical Association has urged Ottawa to learn lessons out of Colorado and Washington. Colorado has been seeing an increase in marijuana-related traffic deaths and an increase in the use of health care due to intoxication, burns, cyclic vomiting syndrome, as well as overdoses in children due to marijuana in edibles. There's serious issues here that are that our Canadian health professionals are warning the government about, and we only have 12 months to get all this stuff in place to be able to figure out how we're going to regulate this as a society and use this. And so part of the problem with the current situation in Canada is that we just don't know very many details about this new law. How are they going to regu- ed, uh, regulate the quantity and the quality of THC in certain plants? How are they going to regulate synthetics? How are they going to regulate edibles? How are they going to do all these things? Where are people going to be able to smoke it? How are they going to use it? How do we do roadside testing for intoxication under marijuana and all these other things? So these are important aspects that, that need to get solved in the next 12 months, and I, I do hope and pray that our government's up to the task of that if they're going to push ahead with this. And they're wise in their protection of the society that they've been called to govern. Nora Volkow just again closes and says, whether smoking or otherwise consuming marijuana has therapeutic benefits that outweigh its health risks is still an open question that science has not resolved. And so I would just say that Scripture warns us And the testimony of people that we know that have been caught in this addiction can warn us. And research confirms both scripture and the testimony of those in our midst that cannabis can be dangerous. And so where does that leave us then? How do we apply this knowledge now as Christians, both what we know in the world and what culture is doing and what scripture has told us? What's a a a measured and and a wise Christian response to this new law? Well, first of all, of course, parents still have to parent, okay? Like, we don't trust the government, we don't trust our schools, we don't trust the laws to take care of our kids. So number one, I'll just say that, and I won't say a lot more about it. Parents, you got to parent, right? you got to teach your kids that regardless of what might be legal out there, regardless of what might, culture might find acceptable, there are things that are moral and immoral. There are things that are wise and unwise. There are things that are profitable and not profitable. And so parents, you have to continue to parent. We have to continue to parent. And we're there with you as a church to help you in Sunday school, with teachers, with mentors, with uh, older people that have been through this, with testimonies, with examples. We're there to help you parent, but we've got to keep parenting. We don't trust the laws to be our moral guide. But regarding our participation as Christians, I'll just divide it up medically and recreationally. Medically, I would just say that God has given us an amazing natural compound and that when supervised and used properly, it can provide incredible relief to some very perplexing symptoms that other things don't seem to help. And to provide relief to suffering that other drugs can't alleviate. And we were given dominion over the plants and animals to be good stewards of and to use for our well-being. And so as Christians, we never want to avoid or leave out a part of the Bible. We apply all of Scripture properly to our lives. And so we don't want to say less than Scripture says 
and ignore any clear commands that Scripture gives us about intoxication or about how to treat our bodies or about what's wise and profitable for us. But we also are warned not to add to Scripture. And so as Christians, we don't want to create absolute prohibitions of things where there are no absolute prohibitions given. And we, want to, we don't want to frame Scripture to say more than it does. We want Scripture to speak to us exactly as Scripture speaks and to speak to others exactly what Scripture speaks. And so there is no prohibition against proper medicinal use, I think, of any of God's creation that He's given us. If we are wise and we are using it for the alleviation of suffering and for treatment, then God bless us and thank God that there is alleviation for childhood epilepsy and for seizures and for pain that other things like opioids would be much more dangerous to treat with. So medically, I think there is no prohibition to use marijuana or cannabis or CBDs properly. But recreationally, which is what we're mainly talking about, Scripture does have something to say about the improper use of God's creation. Because the other side of that story is there are lots of things in God's creation that we can use improperly, right? As we just talked about under the body as a temple section, right? We can use ice cream improperly, right? We can destroy ourselves with chocolate. And chocolate's amazing. And I hate to say anything bad about chocolate, but, you know, there are things that God has given us that are incredible and good, but we can abuse, God and Jesus Christ is our gospel. God and Jesus Christ is our good news. And so escaping into intoxication or escaping into a reality altered by drugs is not where our hope lies. This ultimately comes down to, like many of our other sermons in this series, comes down to where is culture placing their hope and where do Christians place their hope? Recreational drug use as a means of escape or as an alternative hope for your life falls into the biblical category of idolatry. And this is how idolatry works. One of the things that Martin Luther, who is one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, said, or he had the insight into, was that because the first two of the Ten Commandments dealt with idolatry, those are, don't have any other gods before me and don't make any graven images of other gods and worship them and serve them. He said that because the first two dealt with idolatry, the rest of the commands can only be broken if you break one of the first two. And what he means by that is in order for you to be a liar or to lie or in order for you to commit adultery and cheat on your husband or your wife or in order for you to steal or to rebel against your parents either or to break any other of God's laws in your heart, he's saying, you must have already broken the commandment against idolatry because in order to do any of those other things, you must have first already believed that there is something greater and more valuable to you than God. Because if you believed that God was your greatest and most valuable treasure, then you would not have lied, you would not have stolen, you would not have murdered, you would not have cheated on your spouse. And so in order to break any of the other commandments, you have to already have broken the commandment of idolatry. And so as Christians, we understand that idolatry is at the root of all our sin. All our rebellion stems first from breaking this law of idolatry, that all of our disobedience stems from that. But most specifically... It's at the root of our desire to put our hope in anything other than God. And as Christians even, as humans all the time, but as Christians even, our foolish hearts do this all the time. We put our hope in things other than God and in doing so commit adultery. And Paul says it most clearly in Romans 1 as he basically summarizes the problem with mankind. He says in verses 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their senseless hearts were darkened. 
And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal human beings or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. And so Paul says here, we know about God, we see the evidence of God, but instead of worshiping him and thanking him and glorifying or making him the central of our, of our lives, we humans foolishly become stupid and senseless and dark. We thought we were smart, but we were actually dumb. And what we have done is traded the creator for the created. We've taken the created thing and elevated it as our ultimate hope and denied the creator. And that's idolatry. Anytime you take some created thing and elevate it as your hope and deny the creator, you're participating in idolatry. Hoping in a created thing rather in the creator of things. And as modern sort of people in North America, idolatry, when we say that word, it sounds like monkey statues in the, in the jungle or something. But that's, that's not how idolatry shows up in the human heart. Idolatry shows up in the human heart and even in the Christian life when we put our hope for our security or we put our hope for joy or we put our satisfaction on anything other than God. And so this is why as Christians I think we just instinctively hear about legalization of marijuana or the use of drugs or the use of alcohol in an abusive way and we immediately, instinctively, because we're Christians, we know it's dangerous. We say there's something spiritually dangerous going on here. And that spiritually dangerous thing is idolatry. That's what's going on. We see the danger of depending on the drug more than depending on God. And idolatry doesn't always reveal itself so clearly in this place, but with marijuana it is very clear. So in this case of regular marijuana use or recreational marijuana use, if we're putting our hope in marijuana, then our hope is not in Christ. If Christ is not our greatest treasure and we have a new God in our life that we turn to, marijuana becomes what people smarter than me like Richard Keyes or Tim Keller or Matt Chandler sometimes call a false functional savior. In other words, marijuana functions as a replacement for our true hope for a little while. Marijuana is our savior. It's a functional savior. We can do something and feel better. But it's a false functional savior because it will ultimately let you down. It's not your real hope. Marijuana or any drug will not fix your life. It will not bring you lasting satisfaction. It will not cure your depression. It will not redeem the relationships around you that are broken. It will not, despite what the Rastafarians claim, bring you closer to God. It will simply put a numbing band-aid over the wounds of your life that you are trying to avoid, and they will continue to fester only to hurt more when that band-aid of drug use comes off. Marijuana makes a lousy God. And I just want to touch for just a couple more minutes on this idea of idolatry, because that's really what this idea of the use of marijuana boils down to. I just want to expand on this a little bit because it's not always as obvious as drug use. And a lot of you could be sitting out there right now today saying, well, I don't use drugs, I never use drugs, don't plan to use drugs, this sermon doesn't matter to me. But the issue is the same whether it's marijuana or it's any other idol that we foolish Christians set up in our hearts. There are lots of ways where we can take a good thing that God has given us and make it an ultimate thing in our life that replaces God. And some of these things that I share with you now might hit a little closer to home than marijuana does for most of us. So what can be a false functional savior? What can be a false idol in our Christian life? Well, there's things like image idolatry, where you say something like, life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a particular kind of look or body imagery. So to be healthy... Or to take care of yourself is a good thing. It's not a sinful thing. Our body is a temple. We're supposed to take care of it. But our body image makes a really lousy God. 
If you stake your joy and your satisfaction and your identity and your hope on how your body looks, then you are a slave to the idol of body image. You see what I'm saying? And I can guarantee you, it will let you down, right? Even with great genetics, you have maximum 10 to 15 years left of hoping in your body image, okay? Right? This is where it ends up, all you young people. I, I don't care. I don't care what your genetics are. This is what happens. All right? Unless you're in L.A. and you got a couple million for plastic surgery... Right? But that image idolatry is a big one in our culture right now. Right? And there are, sadly, tragically, it would make me weep, tragically, so many young people, especially girls, that are trapped in this. Right? Their self-worth, their hope, is in how they look. And it's an idol in their heart. Because they have to have it, or they'll die. Secondly, work idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm highly productive and getting a lot done. And again, work is good. Initiative and achievement and productivity are awesome things. The Bible is not anti-work or anti-productivity. But if you put your hope and your satisfaction and your identity, ultimately in your satisfaction at your job and getting work done, then you have become enslaved to work and you will rise and fall based on the assessment of your performance. And you are enslaved to an idol of work. Or achievement idolatry, very similar... Very similar. I only have meaning. I only have worth if I'm excelling in my career. Materialism idolatry. Life only has meaning. Another big one for our culture. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I have a certain level of wealth and financial freedom and very nice possessions. Joy is impossible for me apart from wealth. As soon as I start to lose material possessions or as soon as I start to see that somebody has something I want, my joy disappears. My joy is not in Christ. My joy is not in God. My joy is in wealth. You can have religion idolatry. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplishing its activities. Even religion can be an idol. When your hope is being accepted because of your performance at church, then church has become an idol to you and your joy is no longer in the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ. Relationship idolatry. This is another huge one. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if this one person in my life is happy or they're happy with me. If your joy and satisfaction fundamentally rises and falls depending on if a certain person is pleased with you, then you have become a slave to that person and you are not set free in the hope and joy and satisfaction of Jesus Christ. Now again, this is a good thing. It's good to be liked. It's good to have a good marriage. It's good that your husband or your wife brings you joy. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your ultimate joy rests in the hands of your spouse or your kids, then they have become our God. And they will fail us. I mean, just look at the guy sitting next to you, wives. Right? Look at that guy. He's a train wreck. (laughs) He cannot handle the burden of being your God. And he makes a lousy God. And it works the other way too, okay? Right? We cannot stand up to it. And your kids cannot stand up to it. You cannot make your kids your God. They can't handle the burden of being the source of your joy and satisfaction in life. You will crush them if your hope and your joy and your satisfaction lays on your kids. Because we make lousy gods. We make good husbands and wives, but we make lousy gods. Okay, And that's relationship idolatry when you cannot live without the satisfaction of someone else. 
or status idolatry. Life only has meaning if I'm within a particular social group or a certain group of people accept me. Or even suffering idolatry, and I'll finish on this one. Life only has meaning and I only have worth if I'm hurting and, and I have a problem in my life because only then do I feel noble because of my suffering and worthy of love or unable to deal with guilt. Right? So people can even make suffering their idol, that they just cannot be satisfied unless they're hurting and can stand up with nobility under their suffering. And there's literally hundreds of more idols we can make in our life, and they're all false functional saviors. John Calvin says, all of, our heart, all of our hearts are idol factories, which means our hearts are constantly creating new idols to put our hope in and to elevate above God. And so I say all of that just to say this is where marijuana use falls in for us as Christians. We have to be so careful that it's not another idol. But it's not just marijuana, okay? Brothers and sisters, there are hundreds of things that you can make idols in your life and you can put your hope and your satisfaction in ahead of God. And that's where the true danger lies is in idolatry. So what is the answer then? And I'll close with this. And you'll notice a recurring theme in the answer to all of these cultural questions that we have is that if the answer of the culture is to create a new idol, if they're trying to create a new acceptability and set up and set this new idol of of marijuana use and escapism and recreational whatever it is and put that in our marketplace, then the answer of the church is to hold out an alternative hope and to hold out the one true God. Our answer is a community of life. It's a community of hope and a community of peace and healing and satisfaction that doesn't rely on false functional saviors, whatever they are, whether they're marijuana or body image or ice cream, whatever it is that are the false functional saviors out there, the answer of Christianity and the answer of the church is to hold out a community that is of peace and hope and healing and redemption that doesn't rely on those. Our response as Christians to this is the gospel. It's the message of the church is not simply that we reject the world and its error, but that we offer out an alternative hope. And so our stance with those that feel the need to depend on drugs, if we're dealing with this within our own family, if we're dealing with this even within your own life and you're having this struggle, this temptation, our stance towards those people who want to turn to drugs and who want to put their hope there rather than in their Savior is to offer them an authentic alternative, the hope in Jesus Christ and transformation by the Holy Spirit and redemption and healing that comes from belonging to the community of the church. And so our stance as Christians in this, as we go out into the world, is not with furrowed brow and a wagging finger at all the naughty sinners. But our stance as Christians has to be with open arms, full of joy, and a message of hope for those that are turning to things like marijuana out of need and desperation. And so we offer the gospel of hope to those who are looking in the wrong places. Romans 13 says, Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in parties and drunkenness and not in sexual immorality and debauchery, but in, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's what we have to do as Christians. We hold out the hope of the gospel. We have open arms to people that are looking to false functional saviors for their satisfaction. And instead, we clothe ourselves with dignity and with righteousness, and we don't give in to the gratification of our sinful nature. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that can give us guidance in this, that we can approach this with wisdom. We all have to examine our own hearts. It's easy to wag our fingers at the sinful people out there who are doing drugs, but it's a lot harder to look inward and examine our own false functional idols that we hold up. 
whether it's our own security or what we look like in the mirror or what we're hanging, who we're hanging out with, but we put our hope and our satisfaction and our joy in the wrong things. And so we constantly have to be on alert that our hearts are idol factories and to continue to shift our hearts towards you, that you are our greatest hope, you're our greatest satisfaction. We would not turn anywhere but towards you for anything, Lord, because only you can satisfy our need. I pray that people who are here today that don't know that, that are still grasping at whatever it is they're grasping at, the cover of Vogue magazine, or you know, just glad to be able to go home and light one up and just put the, put the day under the blanket of drugs, whatever it is they're hoping in, Lord, that they can find and discover that they can hope in you and never be let down, that there is hope and satisfaction and joy for them in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.